Hello, and welcome to New Books in Public Policy. My name is Teddy Troy. I'm your host. Each week, we talk to a different author about their public policy books and get their prescriptions for public policy changes that they would make as a result of having written their books. This week, we're going to talk to Elaine Shalino, author of La Seduction, How the French Play the Game of Life. This book got a fair bit of attention not long ago because of its revelations about DSK, Dominique Strauss-Kahn, who was the IMF head and almost the leading candidate for presidency of France, until he had a run-in with a hotel maid in Manhattan. Shalino talks about the seductive methods of DSK and how infamous they were in France for many years, but she also talks about seduction as a way of life in France and how the French treat things like seduction and love, politics, and many other things differently than we do in America, and how sometimes the disconnect between Americans and French is as a result of misunderstanding. And she tries to explain how understanding the French way can lead to very rewarding experiences, not only in France, but in our diplomatic relations with the French. So without further ado, I bring you Elaine Shalino, author of La Seduction. Elaine Shalino, welcome to New Books in Public Policy. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I just read your book and really enjoyed it. Uh, But before we get into the book, I'd love to talk a little bit about um, who are you and how you came to write this book. Well, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and uh, I went to school there, went to graduate school and lived in New York City for a while and uh, became a foreign correspondent for Newsweek magazine in Paris uh, in the late 1970s, then went on to Rome, came back to the States, met my husband on a train, uh, moved to Paris nine years ago with our kids, and came to write this book by serendipity. I had to give a speech at the New York Public Library about France and didn't want to bore the audience. So instead of talking about NATO or Afghanistan, uh, I said that the key to understanding France was seduction. And the editor from my last book, which was on Iran, was in the audience. And he said, Elaine, this is your next book. Well, um, there there it is. This book certainly never bores. Uh, You start actually with a very vivid (laughs) image of uh, Jacques Chirac and how he kisses hands and how that's part of his process and how it made Laura Bush rather uncomfortable. Can you talk a little bit about the hand-kissing method in general and the specific technique of Jacques Chirac? We we Americans, we American women are used to having our hands uh, uh, shaken, not, um, not kissed. And so when you go in for an interview with the president of France, and he kisses your hand, it's a little bit unsettling. And this is what happened to me when I went to interview him right after my arrival in Paris to talk to him about the tremendous problems the United States was having with France because of the run-up to the Iraq War. And Laura Bush was even funnier because here she was coming over to Paris on an official trip and was completely destabilized that Jacques Chirac, who had opposed her husband uh, in the Iraq War, was kissing her hand. So it's uh, it, it can be uh, it can be interesting, especially since Jacques Chirac doesn't do it right. He gives you a good smack on the hand, and lips uh, are never supposed to touch skin. They're supposed to just hover in the air. Um, you also talk about uh, President Obama. And you talk about how his his trip to uh, Paris 
um, in before he became president, how he sort of had no fun on the trip, and that was frowned upon by the French. Can you talk a little bit about how he was viewed then and how he's still viewed today? Well, Obama has never really liked Europe. In his memoir, he talks about how his first trip to Europe when he was a young man en route to Kenya, uh, that he never felt comfortable in Europe because uh, it wasn't his. And I think he's probably the first American president who doesn't feel his European Europeanness. Um, so when he came to France, uh, it was expected that he would have dinner with the um, Sarkozy's in the Elysee Palace, and instead he turned them down and went off to a restaurant with his his family. Uh, he he is, has said, you know, I guess uh, there will be some day when I'll have time to have fun in in France, and uh, but not while I'm president. Uh, and this shows the difference between the Americans and the French. You know, we Americans tend to be very work-oriented and goal-driven, where the French take much more pleasure in the moment and in the process. Yeah, that's one of the many differences, I would say, between the Americans and French. I, I could <laughs> never imagine the first lady of the U.S., be it Laura Bush or Michelle Obama, appearing in a Woody Allen movie, as Carla Bruni recently did in Midnight in Paris. This, this is absolutely true, and she did a pretty good job, too. Yeah, it was, it was a, a very entertaining movie and uh, one of Woody Allen's biggest hits um, in, in years. Is he um, is he spotted a, a lot around Paris? You know, in New York, you used to see him in Elaine's and all, all of that. Not really. He he sort of was like the guerrilla filmmaker because he was so uh, intent that he wanted to keep crowds away that his locations were hidden until he was just about ready to arrive there. So uh, I, I never even saw him while he was here. You also have a, a, a vivid and great story about a Japanese tourist, a pretty young woman who goes to Versailles, and I guess the groundskeeper or one of the people who, who runs the place and uses Versailles as his uh, seduction tool, and he says, if I knew how to hunt, I'd do hunting, but since I have Versailles, I use that. It's not even fair, I guess. Well, this is uh, – he's actually a character. He's, he's the longtime official gardener at Versailles, and it's not like a gardener in the sense we think of a gardener. He's, he's sort of like – the landscape architect of a huge estate, and uh, he lives on the grounds in a in a lovely little house. And he tells a story about how he um, met a Japanese tourist who happened to be coming to Versailles on the day that it was closed, and he gave her a private tour. And uh, we don't know exactly, but it sounds as if it wasn't a private tour in more ways than one. <laughs> um, yeah, well. Uh... I hope the Japanese tourists enjoyed it. Uh, you know, there, there are all kinds of uh, tips you have in this book, things I had never even thought of. I mean, you, you say you should never, ever wink, at least I guess in France. Um, you should be very uh, wary of smiling or you shouldn't be too generous with your smiles. And uh, even if you're at a din dinner party in France, you should never, ever go to the bathroom. Um, how long did it take you to adjust to these things? And are there other rules Americans should know when traveling in Paris? It took a long time. In fact, I only learned some of this stuff when I started writing this book, and I had been in, living in Paris for a long time, so I guess all those times I asked to go to the bathroom, I was making an incredible faux pas. Um, you know, when you come to Paris as an American, you know how you bump into somebody going into the subway, into the metro, and the person you give the person a smile, and that person stares at you, and you think, oh, my God, you know, these, these French people aren't very nice. 
Well, despair um, is often a visual embrace. It's often a, a compliment. If a man stares at a woman on the street, um, he is uh, maybe staring at her because he thinks she's beautiful. Where the French, especially the Parisians, don't give smiles away very easily. Uh, they think it's it's sort of a banal act, uh, sort of like shaking hands, and that for a smile to be given too freely uh, makes you look like an idiot. And uh, I didn't know this, uh, so I learned uh, a lot in doing my very serious and less serious research on this book, Terry. One of the things you also learned is that um, you don't go out unless you're dressed really properly. You have a very funny story of uh, (laughs) You were out in jogging clothes, and you saw my friend Bob Kimmett, who was a former deputy secretary of uh, the Treasury, um, and he kind of made a crack about your clothes and some other French people piled on. Yeah, he he said to me, Elaine, I see your style hasn't gotten any better since you moved to Paris. Uh, yeah, I was I was making cookies and was in my jogging clothes from the morning and uh, and had flour on me and ran out to get some uh, some ingredients to the corner store, but it wasn't just any street; it was a very fancy. French Street, and I ran into just about everybody I knew in Paris that that uh, morning, and much to my embarrassment, wasn't uh, dressed properly. And uh, you know, in in a, in a city like uh, New York, you walk alone. Um, in Paris, you never walk alone because someone's always looking at you and sizing you up on the street. There's sort of a, a kind of a visual exchange, which is kind of a visual seduction. And uh, I guess I learned that the hard way. What do you mean? I think we should get back to first terms, I guess, or first principles. What do you mean by seduction? I mean, the seduction in the book is not necessarily the seduction we talk about in America of, you know, man and a woman and, you know, do they end up in the bedroom or not? I mean, there, there's so much more to it. Can you elaborate a little bit on the concept? Right. Well, seduction is uh, among the most uh, overused uh, words in the French language. In English, when you think about seduce, we think about a negative and an exclusively sexual feel. But in French, the meaning is much broader, and the French use the word seduce where we might use charm or attract or engage or entertain. Um, it's um, It doesn't necessarily mean anything sexual. And at one point, I did a Google search uh, of the words seduction and said we are to, to seduce and came up with um, incredible uh, hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of hits with my Google alert. Uh, and uh, in all sorts of uh, unsexual ways. I mean, for example, uh, the Pope was said to have seduced the Palestinians during one of his trips. Uh, Sarkozy wanted to seduce the young. The milk producers of northern France uh, were on a seduction mission. You know, Obama wanted to seduce the Congress. So it's it, it's, a, it's a very, very broad um uh, uh, term and uh, there's such a thing called operation seduction, operation seduction, and that is is uh, uh, doesn't mean you know a seduction uh, with sex in mind. It's more like a sort of much more mundane and 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 calmer um, charm offensive. It's um you know in some ways the, the French are, are more. Um... I guess less or less direct than, than Americans, and that they you know they, they won't mm-hmm. smile or wink. But in some ways, they're, they're more direct. And you tell the story of uh, uh, Chantal Thomas when she looks at your bra and says, "Your bra is very American." I can't imagine someone in America really saying saying that to you. Your bra is very French or something like that. I mean, how, how do you how do you calibrate when to be more direct and less direct? 
Actually, it sounds much different when it's when it's um, uh, uh, not in print, when it's actually explained. And I never thought any we would be talking about my underwear on, uh, uh, you know, in in such a public way. But You're right, it, it's we really talk a, about it. Yeah, it's really a little unfair because I asked her first what she was wearing. I mean, here she's the lingerie queen of Paris, so I said, you know, well, tell me what what are you wearing? And she said, well, you mean today? And I said, yeah, like right now. And much to my surprise, she took her black stretchy turtleneck and pulled it down to reveal this lacy confection with extraordinary engineering in it. Yeah, I, I can't imagine Laura Bush doing that in, a, in an interaction with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to be an investigative reporter. You know, we have to do our homework. Yeah. Now, one thing that really gave your book a lot of extra attention, and I'm sure you were expecting this question, is about DSK. Uh, I, I think a lot of people kind of picked up the book and went straight to the index. And obviously your book was written and printed before the whole DSK affair became public. But you say that he was always in, engaged in a long process of different types of seductions. Um, how, how are the French viewing the American reaction to him or the, the you know, sort of, sort of you know, he got arrested and now they're saying maybe he's not so guilty or we don't have the evidence. I mean, what's, what's the feeling about DSK in France these days? But Dominique Strauss-Kahn uh, was a leading politician in France, and he could have uh, gotten the Socialist Party nomination to run for president next year. And he, as head of the International Monetary Fund, was also one of the most powerful men in the world. And uh, I was very careful about what I wrote uh, in the book about him and his reputation. And I say reputation because uh, it was largely based on rumors and, and dinner table conversations about uh, him being a, a womanizer, uh, a ladies' man. And uh, even his wife, uh, Sinclair, uh, was on the record several years ago telling a French magazine, um, you know, I don't care if he seduces uh, other women as long as he seduces me, that's enough. A, a, a man has to seduce. So that it was kind of... Um, accepted and expected that he uh, was a man of incredible, uh, what the French would say, vigor. vigor. Um, the French are going through various stages in terms of how they're reacting to this whole scandal. At first, they were in denial. Then they were outraged that the Americans would have forced him to do what we call the perp walk, you know, walk, in, walk uh, publicly in handcuffs. Then they became very sympathetic towards the uh, accuser. Then when she became uh, somewhat uh, uh, less credible, they they lashed out again at the United States. So it's really been moving in sort of a, it's sort of a national political soap opera that is evolving. I mean, what's clear is that Dominique Strauss-Kahn will not run for the presidency. And I would uh, even say that he, his reputation is damaged forever because for two reasons. Even if what happened in that hotel room in that hotel suite in New York was not rape, but was somehow a consensual act, uh, the fact that he had uh, a 20-minute sexual encounter with a hotel maid uh, is considered certainly an abuse of power. And second, the way his lavish lifestyle was made transparent, the amount of money that he and his wife paid for their have paid for their, their house um, the, that they're renting in Lower Manhattan. The fact that the first thing he did was to go out and after after the uh, the bail restrictions were, were changed, was 
Taylor's plate uh, was this did not go down very well with the French who don't like any kind of vulgar display of wealth. Uh, but but they do like some other things that I guess Americans would consider vulgar. And there's one section in the book where you talk about how when Bill Clinton had his affair with Monica Lewinsky, the French attitude was congratulations, uh, which is you know kind of different from how Americans viewed it. Well, they kind of looked at America and said, oh, you are being so prudish. And, you know, we civilized French uh, think that, you know, a president should be able to uh, have an active sexual life. And it's nobody's business. You're invading his vie privée or private life. Indeed, the only thing the French seem to be at all distressed um, uh, about during the Lewinsky scandal was that she wasn't more beautiful in in their estimation. Uh, well, one woman who is quite beautiful uh, ran, I guess, against Sarko. Uh, you had the Sego versus Sarko debate, which is very different yes. from American debates. You have that exchange where one says, calm down, and the other shouts back, I will not calm down. How do French <laughs> debates differ from American debates, and is how does the seduction play a role? Well, American political debates are now so incredibly scripted that there, there seems to be nothing uh, spontaneous about them. Uh, you uh, you have a certain number of minutes for for each person. You have a moderator. Uh, journalists are given a, a text of it, uh, a transcription of it, almost in, in real time. Uh, in France, it's very different. It's kind of like a free-for-all. There's no moderator. Uh, and if there is a moderator, the moderator can't really get a word in edgewise. And... Um, there's no transcripts, so you are literally uh, watching, uh, you know, a verbal food fight on national television and trying to figure out, uh, you know, who's saying what and who's making uh, the points quicker than the other. It's just, um, it's very different. The the goal is more to debate well and debate strong than than win the debate. Uh, yeah, the, the American debates I like to call a parallel press conferences because they're, they're not actual and <laughs> actually an exchange. Um, Actually, I never heard that expression. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, uh, in a previous life, I did debate prep for uh, one of the presidential campaigns, and it's. Oh it's my not, gosh! Which one? Um, I, I did uh, prep for Bush in the 2004 race. I did the the, the policy books, and I was oh my told gosh. that um, my first day there, I said, "How can I possibly do this job? There's 40,000 possible questions." And the person, the old hand who'd done this before, said to me, "It's true, but there are only 40 answers, and it's your job to write the 40 answers." <laughs> Gee, maybe they need you in France next spring for their, <laughs> their debate. <laughs> maybe, but but another area of interest of mine is what um, what leaders read. I read a lot about what American presidents and, and political leaders read, and the section on what uh, Sarkozy is reading is fascinating. It sounds it seems like he, he wasn't much of a reader until Carla got a hold of him, and she said that he's now reading Proust and uh, Claude Lanzmann. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how she affects not only his reading but his his public persona? Well, Sarkozy uh, prided himself on being an anti-intellectual. You know, he he boasted that he wasn't an intellectual, and uh, then he he met and married Carla Bruni, who who really is a, a, a very well-read woman. You know, she speaks a number of languages, she's traveled the world, and uh, you know was a was was well brought up, and and then became a very uh, famous fashion model. And she has been trying to remake him. She put him on a diet. She took him off chocolate and, and, and sugar. And she is trying to get him more involved in serious culture. So 
Uh, they've been doing marathon movie watching in the Ailey State Palace. I think they've just recently gone through uh, um, all of Hitchcock. And uh, he's reading very serious literature, Proust, Maupassant, uh, um, uh, Lanzmann, and, and, and he also sometimes is shown uh, carrying one of the books in his hands so, he, uh, so that the public knows exactly what he's reading. Yeah, that's an old American trick. You often see the president go to, to the presidential <laughs> helicopter hold, holding a book of you know some kind of weighty weighty tome. Uh, usually, that has appeared on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, the, the, but that's okay. I think it's I think, I think it's kind of good that uh, presidents read. I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, President Bush used to read something like ninety books a year. He didn't get much credit oh, for it, but uh, he he was a huge uh-huh. reader. And Karl Rove once said that he in the thirty five years he knows Bush, he never saw him without having a book in his hands. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. certainly not what people expect about them. But uh, but back to, back to Carla. I mean, she uh, I guess she uh, rewards uh, Sarkozy for listening because you have that crazy story in there about um, how they came late to a, uh, a meeting with uh, Mrs. and President Obama because they, uh, uh, they they were having an encounter in their hotel room. <laughs> uh, is, well, that I think it's wonderful that they're madly in love, you know. But it just it it it, it shocked everybody that she actually said it out loud. You know, this is what's so so different about Carl Bruni. Uh, and uh, and now she's uh, very um healthily pregnant. Um, so there will be a baby in the ALSA Palace before the election. Well that that's always good for vote getting. Uh in the last chapter of the book, I, I was just fascinated by your depiction of the the French dinner party, and and to to be honest, quite stressed out by it. I mean, I, you know, I go to a lot of dinners and never have to go through all the hoops that you had to go through to successfully navigate a French dinner party. Can you talk about why you saw that as the perfect ending to the book? And, and I think it was a perfect ending. Uh, but but also, what are some of the things you had to go through in order to be successful? Well, the French uh, sometimes, especially the Parisians, in a certain certain class or a certain educational background really prepare for dinner parties. They really think about who's going to be invited, what they're going to serve, what they're going to wear, how people are going to sit. And, um, it, it, you know, when you get invited, you also get the guest list so you know everybody else will be invited. And you're sort of expected to learn a little bit about each person because the goal of the dinner party is less to eat than to conduct uh, an elegant conversation. It's not a conversation that necessarily is supposed to result in, um, you know, an argument or uh, scoring points or um, or resolving the crises of the world. But it's to it's to be amused and to amuse. And this was the ultimate dinner party because it was a friend of mine who was giving a dinner party so that we could discuss the subject of my book. And so I was sort of like um, either call me the star or the, um, you know, the weird animal in the circus because there I was called upon to give a summary of my book in French to a very um, elegant and sophisticated group of people. So that's a bit terrifying. Oh, and with no notes, too. Right. And you you are fluent in French, right? I mean, as, as a result of I'm your job. I'm fluent in French, but I'm, but I'm not, um, you know, a brilliant native French speaker, and I do hesitate and uh, and I certainly made mistakes so that um, uh, you know it is it was off and it was, but it was really fun you know in the end it was really fun and it was a lovely there the reason I ended the book with that that chapter is what started out as a sort of 
challenging and terrifying experience ended up as a rich, rewarding experience for both me and my husband that we shared and we brought the sort of magic of the evening out into the street as we walked home. And it just seems, you know, there, there are those moments where all, everything seems right with the world. It just was one of those wonderful moments. Oh, that's great. And it really, uh, it, it was a nice capstone to the book. It kind of showed the Americans who might look uh, unfavorably upon the, the French person who stares at them that there is value in, in doing the hard work and kind of trying to understand the culture and that there's a lot uh, that there, there there is to offer there. Um, you've been very generous with your time. I'd like to close by asking you our signature question here on New Books and Public Policy is, what public policy changes would you make as a result of what you've learned from this book, probably with respect to U.S.-French relations, but uh, in anywhere that you think is appropriate? We're at a very good moment uh, in U.S.-French relations right now. I mean, the French are in Afghanistan. The French uh, took the lead even before the Americans in in Libya. Uh, You know, France has proven that it is a reliable ally, even though it did not follow the United States to war in Iraq. And certainly uh, the Obama team and Sarkozy's team worked extremely well together. And what it proves is that uh, diplomacy works best when you can establish common ground with the other. And, I mean, what is diplomacy? It's not just one endless seduction. It's all about using words and not using weapons to get the other side to do what you want. And that's that's the best that the French can do, to try to seduce the other uh, and, you know, the Americans uh, seduce back. We try anyway. Uh, <laughs> Elaine Shalino, thank you very much for joining us on New Books in Public Policy. It was a pleasure to have you, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch soon. The pleasure was mine, really and truly. Thank you. You've been listening to an interview on New Books in Public Policy with Elaine Shalino, author of Lost Seduction. In the book, she talked about many of her experiences as a New York Times correspondent in France. And how misunderstandings between the French and Americans often come as a result of our lack of understanding of the French approach to the game of life, a seductive approach that has impact on their politics, their love lives, their culture, and their relations with the U.S. I particularly found Shalino's stories about her walking around Paris in jogging clothes and her attempts to navigate a French dinner party very amusing. I hope you find the book amusing and enlightening as well. And until next week on New Books in Public Policy, this is Tevi Troy saying, keep reading.